right. I don't judge bathroom times. <laughs> Welcome to People Who Do Things, a podcast about creating and creative people. I'm John H. Matthews. And I'm Laura Buckwald. All right, we are here today with Michael McGlone, actor, writer, director, producer, comedian, musician, and we're out of time. Just kidding. Um, most of us first <laughs> encountered him in his role of Patrick McMullen in The Brothers McMullen, and we saw him in movies like She's the One, The Bone Collector, on TV. Um, John and I have been lucky enough to listen to a bunch of his music, read some of his novels and screenplays and watch some of his comedy online. Um, and we encourage everybody to check all of that out as well. So welcome, Michael. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for being thank here. Thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. Um, so you are prolific and you write and perform across so many different mediums. And uh, the first question that comes to mind for me is, with regard to your writing is how do you know when you come up with an idea, whether it is a song or a screenplay or a book or, or a anything else yeah. or a bit? I thank you for that marvelous question, which I've never heard before. And I'm fascinated by because I'm not sure they haven't always been ideas for what the given medium was when they originally came. I don't think an idea for a story or a novel or a song has ever materialized as anything but what it came as. Okay. The, the songs I can say particularly generally are written with the guitar in, in hand. Mm. Not always, but most often I am holding the guitar and also, most often, I don't have the idea necessarily before I'm holding the guitar. I'm holding the guitar and I want to express something powerful and penetrating and real. And so I start playing music and the music moves me to create a melody, which is a lot of fun. And when it works mm -hmm. and then the melody and the words shape each other. And there's this wonderful melange of sensations about what's happening. Sometimes I'm very critical and I will edit something. Sometimes I'm very, very happy with what's happening and I'll continue. And it's a marvelous process by which you have anxiety about not getting it done on this moment and then great love in another moment because you did get it done, et cetera, which is actually throughout my artistic expression. If I'm performing, if I feel like I've hit the beat, it's great. And then if I feel like I'm struggling to do it, it's not so great. But the great and not so great are brothers and sisters and they both inform me moving forward. So it's, it's fabulous. But they've always come as I believe what they were, what I had intended them to be 
in terms of, of the of the medium. Right. Of the right. Medium. Okay. I mean, they are disparate enough types of, of mediums, even though they're all writing. I, I mean, it is easy to think that something you thought of as a joke isn't going to turn into a novel or a song or, mm -hmm. or, or vice versa. So yeah, but, that's but, that that's true to this time. Right. Right. But you do. I mean, you there there isn't much you don't write um, many mediums. And, and that's just uh, downright impressive. As as Laura said, I have we have listened to a lot of your music. I, I've been through all three albums that are out there and and was was enjoyed it greatly. Uh, Thank I, you. I really liked listening to you to your progression from 99 to 05 to 2016 and, and, and the sound and how you got more comfortable with it. Um, in 99, I believe hero was 99. That's I, right. I heard, I heard shades of like Spanish classical guitar roots in your, in your guitar playing, which I just thoroughly enjoyed. And, and maybe I made that up, but that's just what I, I heard and felt from it, from my own guitar lessons over the years and such, and just always enjoyed the melodies and how you built things and the different tones you get. And then the, the, the bigger production values as each album went. Is there another mm -hmm. one? Is there another one coming? Oh, indeed. And on the subject of production value and production execution, the next record of fully produced songs, I believe will be the most finely produced music of mine yet. Excellent. And in fairness to the other musicians on the first album, I didn't want to accept a credit that was undue. When you said so complimentarily that you were hearing Spanish guitar influences, I'm not the only guitarist on that record. So you may have been listening to the, the lead guitarist and getting those sensations. Mm -hmm. I, with no dishonor to my playing, my playing is more rhythm and songwriter oriented, meaning idiosyncratic mm -hmm. and the song is in front of the the, the musicianship, generally speaking, and the songwriting is in front of that. So you you may have been receiving some of the excellence of the lead guitarist when you're hearing that, though. I, I love that you were hearing it from whomever you were hearing, because Spanish guitar and classical guitar is fabulous. It, it is. And and it, it all worked together in your music. So, you know, do oh, thanks, man. Do I take do take credit. So. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you, brother. That, and that's an interesting point. The songwriting is in front of the musicianship. So, so John is also a, a songwriter and, uh, and musician, although he doesn't like my bringing that up, but I know John, you, um, the way you've described your songwriting process. And I wonder if that's similar to Michael's, you know, the music is kind of secondary to the mood and the, the story that you got out through your, your songwriting. So, um, is that what you mean by that, Michael, that, I, I actually, I don't mean that it's secondary because it's so important to, as a part of the creation of the song. What I meant by the, the musicianship is behind the songwriting. I learned to play guitar so I could write songs. I didn't oh, learn okay. to play guitar to be a musician on the level of the musicians that I hire to right. play lead on my, on my tracks. Right. It just wasn't something that, that interested me enough to pursue the way that I pursue songwriting and acting and mm -hmm. comedy and, and other, other things like that. I, so when I say that the song is in front of the musicianship, it's that 
the the musicianship was born out of my desire to write songs. Okay. And while my playing has it, it increased in its quality over the years, it hasn't ever been one where I've just focused on the musicianship to mm-hmm. be on a level of a Segovia or to approach even that level right. uh, or an Eddie Van Halen or anyone like that. So, so the I, I playing is a tool. It. The playing, the instrument is a yes, tool to help you yes. write songs. The the greater level of musicianship is something that I enjoy, but I don't feel impelled to do. Right. Okay. Right. It was many years ago, and I'll lose anyone under thirty with this reference of um, Jethro Tull, uh, lead singer Ian Anderson, who is mostly known for playing flute, uh, was a great guitar player, but at some point in his career, he was too good. And he couldn't write music anymore more because he felt he was too good or too confident at guitar. So he just learned piano. So he was actually kind of crappy at an instrument again to help him write new music. I love that story. And the fact that he becomes such a shredder that he almost can't access the simplicity sometimes exactly. that you need exactly. to just go GCD. To write right. how many Dylan songs, you know, and <laughs> that's a great story, John. Thank you for sharing that. I love Jethro Tull and I love him. Who else? Who are some of your other musical and songwriting influences? Well, John just reminded me of one of them, Gordon Lightfoot, because oh, yeah. he was in the almost opposite scenario. He was a fabulous piano player. And for some reason, he didn't want to take that forward in the songwriting realm. I don't know if it was for similar reasons of being too advanced in it or not, but I know that he moved from piano to guitar, and that's where I believe most, if not all, of his songs were written. And so he's one of them, uh, Laura. Bob Dylan, Mm -hmm. Elvis Presley, who is actually only minimally a songwriter. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that with any dishonor to the king. I I mean that as a literal fact. I think he's only responsible for two songs in all of the songs that he's performed. Love Me Tender, though, is one of them. And that was one of his biggest hits. So do credit where it's due. And he was a very powerful influence in not necessarily songwriting, but in singing. Mm-hmm. I call him my first vocal instructor because just hearing him was what got me involved with singing. I'm relatively sure that I did not sing before I listened to him and realized that I got to sound like that. I got I to gotta make sounds like that. Well, you're an incredible singer, and um, you've got that that hound dog intensity, and that wow. I really enjoy listening you. to. You you recently posted a uh, a, a video online of you performing a, a classic song, um, yeah. uh, "When a Man Loves a Woman," mm-hmm. and uh, impeccably performed right in front of the painting you're sitting in front of right now. That's and I, I watched it several times and I was blown away by it. And, and I, I commented to, to Laura how it felt like Nick Cave channeling Joe Cocker in, in a great way. It was Thank just this, this almost furious performance of it that just really, really captured me. I really, really loved it. 
So you bring an equal intensity to your comedy, at least the, the comedy of yours that I've seen um, clips of. How, when did you get into that? That to me seems like the scariest of all mediums to just dive into stand up. Well, comedy. you're very insightful. My opinion of stand up comedy fundamentally is that it's a, a fabulous art form and on a on a performance level the most difficult medium to deliver in mm -hmm. from a, an emotional standpoint i believe physically speaking ballet is the most difficult artistic medium to express well in though on just a performance level in terms of what it takes emotionally mentally mm -hmm. and physically stand-up comedy is the most difficult because it's there's a nakedness to when you're on stage having to make people laugh right and there's a vulnerability that exists there that i believe you can only understand if you've ever tried it mm. So you've always been an artist since you were seven and singing into your hairbrush in, I in your bathroom. I believe I was born, and yeah, I believe I was born right. as it, and then it just became revealed to me. Yeah. Was there ever a point where 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 you thought of going in a different direction? Not, I, I have to say, not seriously, because I didn't ever make that move. Though mm. I will say that testament to the fact that sometimes we're fully in embrace of our destiny and sometimes mm -hmm. we're in a place where we just haven't had enough experience of the message to accept it and to know it. Not that I was resistant to it, but mm -hmm. I have to say that in high school, despite all of these things that are so fundamentally my joy in life, I wondered if I was going to go to college and study English. And I think it was my junior year, not my senior year. I think in my senior year, it was, you're going to go to art school and that, that's it for drama. Mm -hmm. Though in my, in my junior year, I wondered if I would study English, which is, of course, still connected to my poetry and my writing yeah. of prose. Though it wasn't a full ownership of, you're going you're gonna to launch a career as an actor. Mm -hmm. Though I realized as I thought more about it, that I was going to do that. And so that's why I auditioned for Tisch School of the Arts and I was honored to get in and I enjoyed one year there. I only, I wanted it to be six weeks. After six weeks, I wanted to self-graduate. But my mom indicated that she might have a coronary arrest if I did that. <laughs> so I essentially, for my mom said, I'll give it a year. She's, cause that's what she said. She said, I just give it a year. And I felt even at that time, she thinks after the year, I'm going to feel differently and stay. I think that's what she's mm -hmm. thinking. So I said to her, I'm going to do this, but I'm doing it for you. So please know after a year, don't be surprised if my, I'm paraphrasing, but don't be surprised if my feelings don't change and I leave. And after I came back after that first year, some weeks after that, I realized I feel very confident that I'm going to succeed. And I feel like college will delay that success. And I don't want that to happen. So I need to be, I need to self-graduate, call it auto-graduation. And that's what, that's what I did. And in what would have been my junior year 
of art school, I was fortunate enough to land the role in the Brothers McMullen, which essentially launched my career sure. as a, a film and television actor. Yeah, um, I loved that movie. And actually, Thank on you. that note, a um, a fan of yours posted on Facebook. Um, she's from Valley Stream, where apparently part of yes, that film was that's shot. The, that's the home of the Brothers McMullen. That's the home. So she's asked me to ask you of your impressions from shooting there, if you can remember what they were. It was very much like going home, though I wasn't raised in Long Island. Mm -hmm. I come from an Irish Catholic family, predominantly Irish Catholic, because we also have Polish in our in our heritage too, though the Irish part of the, the, the culture was emphasized. Mm -hmm. And so shooting in Valley Stream in an enclave that was actually very Catholic and Irish and Italian and Jewish, I it was like home to me still. Yeah. The fundament of it was like my family and like my like the guys I grew up with. Right. And so there was great warmth in being there and sharing that with the people who live there. Eddie Burns being raised there and me being mm -hmm. raised in Connecticut and New York and Pennsylvania. Still, you're Irish Catholic no matter where you go. First of all, that's really interesting. So you were you were a kid when you shot Brothers McMullen. You were what, 20? 22, 21 22. Or okay. I think. Wow. Okay. Wow. Maybe 20. I, I, I sometimes, wait, I'm, I'm, it's 1993 when we started it. Mm -hmm. Then it was 1994 when we finished it. And then I, I don't think it got, and then it got to Sundance in the first part of 95, because that's a January oh, that's festival. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, in 1993, um, I'm 21, 20, right. 2021. Yeah. Right. So that was, um, you had some real insight into the future in, in auto graduating from college after a year. Mm -hmm. um, Going from, from self-graduating to an Ed Burns film to Sundance at 21 years old. Uh, I mean, there, there's actors of, of our age now who still dream of, of getting to that, that film festival with, with anything they're in. So that, mm -hmm. that was, I mean, an incredible accomplishment out of the gate. And a great blessing. Yes. Enormous blessing that I'm grateful for. When did you start writing, like your novel writing and your, your screenplays? Has that been an ongoing? I started writing novels before I knew I was writing novels. Okay. Because there was a time in my life, Laura, when early on, before the Brothers McMullen, the entertainment industry was not giving me the attention that I wanted. And I decided... Again, because of my my titanic confidence at the time that I was going to deprive this is a true story. I was going to deprive the entertainment industry of Michael McGlone. I said, mm -hmm. you don't want to give me auditions. You don't want to you don't want to give me an agency contract. Fine. I'm out. So I self retire. I self graduate from school <laughs> to pursue a career as an actor. And then I self retire because they're not giving me the proper amount of attention. I launched my career as a writer. Again, this is auto launching. Mm -hmm. And I sit down to write a short story. And I realize this is a book because it keeps going and it keeps growing and growing and growing. And I'm so happy with that because I had recently discovered William Kennedy, who's this mammoth influence in my 
life, wonderful Irish American author, maybe the the highest in the in the echelon of Irish American authors. And I was reading his books. I was writing a book of my own. And then I realized that, okay, this is wonderful, though you have to check in on the fact that you came to New York to launch your career as an actor too, and enough with this self-retirement. So I go out to get the backstage paper, which was then back, Mm -hmm. uh, actual tangible paper. Now it's online. Right. So, and I believe it was on the day that I decided to relaunch my career that I picked up backstage and saw the ad for the McMullen brothers. So again, no such thing as a coincidence. The universal universal forces again at work saying, get out there. That's what you're here for in, in, in part and major part. And there's this ad either that day or shortly after I relaunched my career. And it turns out to be, of course, the launching, in fact, of my career in many ways. So what are you currently working on? I know you have a new album coming out or is it, are you well, in the studio I, with it right I'm now? holding off on releasing another record until I feel that there is greater notoriety happening that will exploit the exposure of the music as well. Okay. And that's my thought at the moment, that there are some projects of mine for film and television that I am in development with and looking forward to unfolding in a way that will get a good amount of attention, at which point I want to capitalize on that and release another record. As far as what's coming up that I want people to be aware of, SWAT is coming up. I don't have a date for its air date. I was told that it's going to be March 6th, though I don't know if that's going to change it might. So right now, my episode of SWAT will be March 6th. I'm looking forward to that. Though if they want to track that, it's SWAT episode 13 of the currently running season. Okay. And I also have a page on my website called Kenny the Gun, which I welcome them to go to because that's something that's connected to another project of mine that we're in development about. And if they want to get an idea of a character that is being cultivated and and developed, they can go there and watch a trailer for Kenny the Gun. And the comedy will, and the music will continue to flow on YouTube. So regardless of the releases of albums, I'm anticipating more videos like When a Man Loves a Woman. Mm -hmm. My mother actually influenced me as she so positively does on so many occasions to perform The Great Pretender back in the day. So I performed it live and I'm gonna make a video of it in honor of that as well. So John, the next one in the series will be The Great Pretender. Excellent. The the Freddie Mercury version. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can totally picture you doing that. I can't wait. Thank you, man. Cause it really yes. lets you yes. roar yeah. at the end there. And I if I, If I had anything to share also, in addition to your wonderful use of the word furious about my singing certain songs, John, I was reminded when you said that at some point in our conversation of something that Carlos Santana said about artistic expression. He was talking about on the guitar, of course, because that's his instrument, though it's relevant, I believe, to all great 
artistic expressions. And he said, it's like swearing and praying at the same time. Hmm. And so when you use the word furious, some people think of furious as having this negative quality, though, when you look at it in terms of the artistic expression, which actually makes no negative, positive distinction, it's all one. You realize that fury and peace are both necessary to deliver. And so thank you for inspiring me to remember that, because it's one of those moments that is so choice and he's so insightful to have said it. Michael McClone, thank you so much for being on. I, I can't tell you how great this was and, and your energy is passing through these interwebs to uh, from LA <laughs> from LA to, to Virginia and to New York, I believe, and gonna leave us both on highs for the rest of the day. So thank you, thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. You uh, are so welcome. Thank you also. And you've had the same salubrious effect on me. So please know that. Excellent. Well, good luck filming tomorrow and people watch for you on SWAT coming up in March. You will be episode 13, episode 13 current season. You'll post about it. We'll post about it to make sure everybody tunes in and uh, find Michael McClone's music out there on YouTube and Apple music and wherever you find incredible music like his. You have been listening to People Who Do Things, a podcast with John H. Matthews and Laura Buckwald. Thank you for listening. <laughs>